listening to the podcast Advertising Playbook, your resource to better understand and execute successful podcast ad campaigns. Hello and welcome to the Podcast Advertising Playbook. I'm your host, Heather Osgood. And today I am joined by Todd Galay. He is Head of Partnership at Podcorn. Welcome to the show, Todd. Hello. Thanks for having me. So Todd, you and I have been working together for a little while now, but you've been in the podcast space for what? Has it been a few years? Yeah, a few years. Yeah. I mean, I come from the influencer world. So, you know, similar and also similar kind of marketplace opportunities. So you know, for over seven years now, but we came over to the podcast space. Yeah. Almost two and a half years ago, I guess. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Flying by. I know. Right. Um, so one of the things that I loved about your, or that I love about your website is you do talk so much about influencer marketing. And for me, I feel like that's near and dear to my heart. What in my opinion, really separates podcast advertising from so many different forms of advertising is that it really is influencer marketing, right? We've got these hosts that are endorsing products. So you were in the influencer space and obviously looking into podcasts. Not everyone is able to see that connection, which I find a little bit strange sometimes. But what made you look into the podcast space and say, man, I've been in influencer marketing and I see that influencer marketing is happening in podcasts? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's almost an exact parallel. So it's strange for you to say that some advertisers don't see the comparison because, you know, again, we came from the YouTube, specifically the YouTube world. You know, we, we sold our first company to YouTube specifically, and we were a marketplace for YouTubers. And all of that was about finding the host who had the right personality, the right connection with your brand, who can deliver an endorsement in an authentic way. To me, podcasting is the exact same thing, right? I mean, when done successfully, you're connecting your brand with a host that already likes your product, already uses your product, can give an authentic endorsement, um, and it reaches the right audience, right? An audience that is relevant and will care about your product. So I think there's an exact synergy. And in fact, you see right now that so many podcasts have a huge YouTube audience, right? So right. obviously, there is a lot of comparison there. And I think, you know, we might get into it, but I think there's also just the evolution of the podcast space as more and more advertisers get in is very similar to what I saw as the evolution of YouTube from early days of YouTube to you know, what it is now. And now everybody does influencer marketing. I think you see a very similar path for, for podcasting. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I love that. And I really appreciate you sharing that story because I wholeheartedly agree with you. Um, and really even to, you know, obviously in YouTube, you've got these host read endorsement ads as well, but really even looking at how they programmatically insert ads into YouTube. When we talk about programmatic insertion or dynamic insertion, it really is so, so similar. And it, I feel like it has been strange in my opinion that um, dynamic insertion has been maybe a little slower to catch on than I would have thought that it would have been. Do you see parallels between the way ads are delivered in YouTube as well as, as podcasts? Yeah, I think there's an opportunity for both, right? I think there's pros and cons to running both. Obviously, the scalability and the control you have on dynamic, certainly with like shorter flights and some of those things, I think there's certainly that opportunity. And in comparison, you have YouTube, which does TrueView ads, right? So if you want to create your own ad and you want to run it very targeted, geo-targeted, very specific timeframes, you could do that with TrueView, those programmatic ads you're saying on YouTube. But that actually is completely different from hosts creating you know, endemic ads, personal endorsements, et cetera. So even when I worked at YouTube, there's very different lanes for selling those types of ads. And I think at podcasting, there's a similar opportunity, right? I think they've been conflated or many times people are trying to sell you on one way or the other. But I think 
that there is this opportunity for both to mm-hmm. have the programmatic opportunity and the, the advantages of those. But I think there certainly are advantages of leaning into more of that host endorsement. And I think mm-hmm. there's there's certainly opportunities there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So tell us a little bit about Podcorn. Um, what made you start the company and, and what specifically does Podcorn do? Absolutely. So, you know, as I mentioned, you know, our first foray into influencer marketing early days of influencer back uh, 2014-ish um, was that, you know, when you look at early days of influencer, everything was very siloed into networks, right? And it was all about the biggest talent. And obviously that evolved into what now is micro-influencer strategies. And, you know, again, the kind of normal progression as you kind of fill up and saturate the top of the funnel, you're going to have to move downstream to like mid and long tail talent and the future stars that, you know, come along. So we were very early on in that and became the largest marketplace for YouTubers. We ended up selling it to YouTube. And again, I see a very similar progression in podcasting. Podcasting has been around forever, but there are those named big shows that everyone talks about and everyone's familiar with. And now again, you have this kind of arms race of all these networks trying to uh, consolidate in, you know, and own quote, quote unquote, those shows. But I think eventually those spaces will be saturated. And again, there's not necessarily a, just because a show is huge doesn't mean it's a great fit for every brand. They want to, you know, find relevant shows. And most of the ecosystem is that mid and long tail talent, right? All the new shows that are starting every single day are building their audiences. So, you know, we saw this opportunity where we could come in as a third party marketplace and really set out to go after the independent space, those mm-hmm. tens of thousands of shows and give them an opportunity to monetize. Um, and we quickly did that. You know, we now have over 60,000 of those and the ability to kind of curate based on keyword searches or audiences or topics, et cetera, and work with them directly. But what's interesting is then we also started building relationships with networks like yours and all the other big networks because it's a similar kind of ecosystem in those networks as well, right? The big shows obviously get a lot of attention, a lot of inbound interest. But sometimes you have those mid and long tails in your network that need love too and are great shows. And maybe sometimes it doesn't make sense for a brand to buy them individually, but we have this opportunity to pick certain shows from different networks and and everyone gets to win. It's an opportunity where I feel like it's very symbiotic, where your talent gets to work with certain brands. We have a great relationship with you and you could kind of give a little more kind of attention and love to your specific shows, but we also get to kind of spread the love uh, around a little bit. So that's kind of been the evolution of our marketplace, not trying to be a network or exclusivities on show, but truly be agnostic. And that's been received well because every brand has a different budget as well. Sometimes a brand can come to us with a relatively small budget and we're not kind of incentivized to like just go on one big show with that budget. You know, we say, look, let's do 10 or 15 small shows. Let's test small and then grow together. Mm -hmm. That's been something that's been effective. And then brands can spend huge budgets and we get, we could come to your network and and book your biggest shows. Right. So Mm -hmm. it's been a great opportunity, I think all around. And I think as the ecosystem continues to evolve, you, you see this kind of evolution, right? Where, you know, there's a lot of big independent shows that have their own sales teams just for them, their own show. And people will be looking for new opportunities to bring in revenue. And I think will fit nicely in that space and, and not be competitive with the networks. You know, we never claim to give every individual show like a lot of love. I think if that's what they want, then a network is a great play for them but we can still book them. So it doesn't keep them out of all the brands that we work with. It's just whatever every independent show kind of has has a need for. Um, and we were acquired by Odyssey in March of last year. And um, really what that's allowed us to, to do is just continue to grow that narrative. We still are kind of a third party kind of standalone marketplace, but it's just kind of put fuel on the fire for us to continue to kind of build out our tech for new monetization opportunities and continue to add shows and 
provide Odyssey that extra, you know, kind of pool of talent that they can build into their program. So it's been, you know, a great uh, integration so far. Absolutely. Well, one of the things that you brought up that I have seen more and more this year, um, and I would say probably in the last 12 months is podcasts have a, a, a limited number of ad spots. So you can't take a show like, you know, let's say Joe Rogan and say, oh, well, we, you know, everybody could advertise on Joe Rogan because he only has so many spots. And once he's filled, he's filled. And mm -hmm. what I have seen is that really kind of the top tier of podcasts are getting booked. And I think I just, especially this year, really noticed like so many of our shows selling out at the beginning of the year. Then it's like, oh, shoot, man, if I had like, 10 more of that podcast, I could sell it all day, but I only have one. And so I think what's really happening is because the upper tier of podcasts are getting booked, that's really forcing advertisers to take a look at, you know, maybe smaller shows or shows that in the past they maybe wouldn't have been interested in because we have now really seen the results that podcasts can provide, but we need more inventory, right? And I think that it's, it's such an interesting perspective because you have, you know, companies like Megaphone and Spotify that are like, wow, we need more inventory. We need more inventory. And then you've got all these podcasts that are like, hey, we've got all this open inventory and tr just trying to connect them and trying to create good, solid campaigns and relationships there seems like it should be maybe easier than it is sometimes. But are you, yeah, I guess that's kind of what you alluded to, but are you saying that um, really those bigger shows are getting booked out and then now we're really kind of having to go down and look at other opportunities? Absolutely. I mean, that's why I said, I mean, that's kind of the natural progression of things because sure. eventually, you know, not only do those shows fill up, but also you realize that not every brand is a great fit for those biggest shows, right? So to me, not only do you kind of move downstream for inventory, but also it gives you an opportunity to test a little more cost effectively. If you're a new brand getting into the space and you're going to go after Joe Rogan, it could be a huge miss, quite frankly, right? I mean, you're going to get the audience, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to convert. I mean, a big portion of our advertisers are direct response. So that's a big bet for a lot of brands. To me, it makes more sense to, let's see, like you said, there's a lot of shows that are very comparable, right? If you had, there's a ton of comedian podcasts who do conversational interviews who reach a similar audience. They're not Joe Rogan, they don't have the cachet of Joe Rogan. But if I was to compare it, not every influencer is Kim Kardashian. Like, so it's a very similar dynamic. So to me, it makes more sense, like you said, to let's go downstream where there's a lot of great talent, a lot of great shows, and let's test, right? Let's, so you, so when, when and if you do miss on a particular podcast that doesn't convert, you're, it's not you know as devastating to a lot of these brands from a cost perspective. And we can really start to tweak what is the right show? What is the right messaging? What is the right frequency? I think that makes a lot of sense to do downstream. And then if you're finding like, no, we are totally crushing it. Like this is really resonating. Then you can make that big investment. I mean, that's very similar to what I was telling people six years ago with YouTubers, right? Like you don't want to go buy Kim Kardashian out of the gate. There's advantages to that, but not necessarily from a ROI perspective. Like that's a branding play. So mm -hmm. I think it's a very similar situation here. And it will just continue to be that way, right? I mean, right. It's, it's, that the top of the funnel is going to continue to get more saturated. We're just early days, right? More and more advertisers are getting in. And I think what's uh, so interesting with podcasting is that you're still in this space where, like you said, brands are buying exclusivities for the year. I mean, the early adopters have already locked up so much inventory where you really are forced as an advertiser getting in now to kind of go downstream. So I think there's I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I think there's this opportunity to kind of find the shows that are 
the next big kind of trending show. And I think that's where brands should put their focus. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about what the advantages are to going downstream. I know one that I see frequently is ad clutter. You know, when you talk about some of these bigger shows, there can be a substantial number of ads in a program. And what I have seen is that when you go downstream, those podcasts aren't filled 100%, right? So let's say maybe a podcast is going to accept three or four advertiser per episode, they're not going to fill up all three or four of those spaces. And so you maybe might be the only advertiser in that episode, or maybe you're one of two. So I see that as being a real advantage. What are some other advantages you see to going downstream? Yeah, I think that certainly is one. I also think that those hosts tend to be really eager and accommodating to brands to do do more, whether it be added value or whether it just be trying the product and giving these kind of like more baked in or, you know, more engaging ad reads and content, I think is a real advantage. And also I think that those audiences tend to be really engaged, right? Like when you are discovering, if you're an active listener of a podcast that has 5,000 downloads, that means like you're, you, you take kind of ownership of that talent, right? You have like discovered this person who you and only 5,000 other people like even know of, you know, compared to Rogan or one of those, it was like everyone knows of them. And it's kind of passive listening. Um, I think there's this exciting opportunity. People kind of take ownership. I think very similar to like musicians, right? When you discover a new musician early days or you go see them at like a small venue, you kind of take a little bit more kind of personal responsibility in helping them grow and spreading the word. And I think that's similar with podcasts, right? Like these people are really leaned in and listening. And, and I think when they give these really authentic spots, it tends to work quite well. So I think that's a, certainly a positive. I think mm-hmm. that along with, again, the opportunity to test and learn really cost effectively, to me, just makes a lot of sense. I mean, that, from my perspective, I just think that makes sense. It's no different than uh, a lot of these brands who test influencers and not, at, you know, 10 out of 10 influencers are not going to crush it, right? I mean, it's always, you know, our percentage of them are going to totally knock it out of the park. And it you know, and covers the cost of the others who they may might deliver on impressions. There's an awareness play, but not every, you know, show is going to, you know, be a hundred percent as far as like ROI or conversion, this part of the game. So I think it's, this is that great opportunity of podcasting, right? There's almost endless shows that are in that place of growing and there's new ones every day. So I think that pool is going to continue to grow. And I think that's where there's this exciting opportunity for brands. And like you said, they can grow their spend as they learn and optimize. And I think the brands that have done quite well are doing that at scale, right? They're constantly testing new shows as cost effectively as they can. And then when they find a big show that works, they just, they book it like year, like you said, for the year. Yeah. And again, that's, it's an interesting position to be in when you can own category exclusivity for an entire year of an audience. I mean, that's already what's happened, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of the wild west still where there's this really exciting opportunity for brands to own an entire category. And I think those are the brands that have done, you know, well, they've kind yeah. of invested in that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So let's talk a little bit about testing because I know you said that several times. I was in a call with a potential new advertiser a few weeks ago and I said, we really want to test. We want to create this period where we look at these different shows and we see which ones are actually going to pull and which ones you're going to get a good return on and which ones you aren't. And the advertiser was very shocked by that. He's like, you think that we should test it? You know, he's like, I would have thought you would have just said we should book the full year. And I'm like, no, I really think that you need to test. And I know when I was looking at some of the FAQs on your site, you talked about how you don't put all your eggs in one just really huge show, but spread the wealth around by multiple shows. What does a good test look like when you're working with someone? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we try to diversify the number of shows and then also, you know, the number of episodes. So we do certainly believe that there's a level of frequency. You know, again, depending on how the show is set up, some of your shows are sold monthly, right? So that might mean a couple months, right? Mm -hmm. If you're selling it monthly or if it's episodical, we might do, you know, three or four episodes. And I think that that to me is plenty of time to see if a show is engaging the right audience, right? Is it driving conversions? Even if in the first month or first few episodes, you're not you know, destroying your ROI and it's like, you know, you're selling a million products, but if you see some traction, right, if it's a great response, you're seeing website traffic or you're seeing conversions, I think that gives you at least some insight that there's an opportunity there to like maybe Mm -hmm. build out that partnership and also maybe tweak your messaging or, you know, you get to really start to see if in three or four episodes or after a month or two, it's not driving any conversion. I think that's an opportunity to, you know, move that money elsewhere, right? So for us, it is all about diversifying that initial spend. And usually it's across a lot of shows, right? Like you said, instead of putting X amount of dollars into one show and doing two or three episodes, we would say, let's do 10 shows, right? Similar, but maybe, you know, just smaller audiences, right? So again, we can really learn as much as possible. I mean, there's so much you could test, especially for a new advertiser. We want to test discounts. We want to test attribution. Are you doing pixeling? Are you doing just codes? And we'll talk maybe about that. I mean, there's so many different things that you can learn in those initial few months that I think it is certainly important. I think a lot of advertisers come in and test. And and when you ask them, you're like, oh, what did you test? And they tested, I don't know, name a big podcast. And they're like, oh, well, it didn't work. So we just thought it wasn't a great opportunity or it didn't really make any ROI. I don't think that's a very effective test. You really didn't learn very much. For me, if you walked away with a lot of learning, I think that's an effective test. Even if it wasn't ROI positive or didn't hit our KPIs, you know, 100%, I think if we can get as much data as possible, it gives you something to take back with the team and reevaluate. So that's mm-hmm. kind of our goal with every one of these programs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that is, that's, that's perfect. And I, I always like to think of podcast ads as being so similar to social media ads, because most advertisers, especially if they're like a direct to consumer brand, wouldn't say like, oh, is Facebook going to work? Or is in- Instagram going to work? They would say, do I have the right audience targeted? Do I have the right messaging? Do I have the right image? Do I have the right offer? They're going to tweak all of the the elements. They're going to do split testing so they can see what actually does work as opposed to saying like, oh yeah, this medium just doesn't work at all for me. And really what we're wanting to do with podcasts is something super similar. And I, I guess one of the questions I have for you is I love everything that you're saying, but you know, being in conversation with conversations with advertisers where I'm like, okay, so the goal isn't actually a positive ROI. It's just like, get some good learning for this test period. Most advertisers are going to be a little bit squeamish about that. What do you tell someone, you know, when you're talking to them about, hey, like we're going to test this out and we don't necessarily expect that maybe this three month campaign is going to be like net positive. How do you kind of overcome that objection with an advertiser? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, of course, that's our hope, right? I mean, we've had clients who, you know, turn 400% ROIs and, you know, totally crush them. Of course there are. And again, I think that's, we go in trying to do the best we can, right? I mean, this Mm -hmm. isn't performance marketing. So again, like you said, this isn't Facebook where it's just cost per conversion. And, you know, there of course isn't awareness play to this. And if this is your first time getting into it, there is some learnings, right? I mean, you're telling your audiences X, Y, and Z, but those audiences could be listening to a lot of different podcasts, right? So a lot of it is finding, like you said, finding the right audience, the right messaging, the right voice. Not every host is going to, you know, be as good as others in delivering the message. So there's so much involved in that. So again, I just try to set realistic expectations. If I go in telling everyone they're going to sell, you know, 400% ROI, 
I mean, we, we'd be a lot more successful. The whole space would, right? I mean, I think it's no different, again, like you said, than influencer marketing or any advertising for that matter. So much of it is just how do we optimize and, and minimize the misses? That's what I that's what I tell them, right? I'm trying to set expectation. Of course, our goal here is to go out, hit your KPIs and, and crush it. And I think we've done quite a good job for many of our clients. Not every client is ROI positive, but many of them, ironically, even the ones that were not, come back, right? Because that was my goal, right? Is that we learned enough. And, and it, like I said, oftentimes it's two of the 10 shows were absolute rock stars. And in the long run, those shows might turn an ROI for them that would cover the cost of even our initial testing. So again, you have to look at it at the macro level. If our one month test is not ROI positive, that doesn't mean that podcasting at large won't be. So again, it's all about just setting the appropriate expectation. And again, even those that don't turn an ROI specifically, there was an awareness play and you don't know when and if those listeners will convert over over the long run. So again, that's typically what you know I try to tell people. And also again, just setting the expectation with your KPIs, right? It might not be ROI, if it's cost per acquisition, do we get close? A lot of my biggest clients you know, had this Facebook cost per acquisition goal. And I try to say that this isn't, like you said, this isn't Facebook, this isn't programmatic advertising, it's not cost per click, but I guarantee that we will find some shows and typically it's the mid and long tail shows because they're less expensive that will turn a really good conversion for you. And that's typically the kind of progression, right? Is they quickly realize that the big shows go sexy and they want to be on, we always use Rogan, but like let's say any of those big shows that they listen to, they're fans of, those are very hard to turn ROI for any for any brand, right? I mean, right, because they're so, so expensive. They're so expensive, right? I mean, yeah. so it's just a realistic kind of perspective on this space and you have to go in with those expectations, right? right. Like, let's try to find the small shows that can turn an ROI for you mm-hmm. and we'll build from there. So that, again, that typically is where I land with a lot of clients. And also, you know, if a client is concerned around those type of things, the ROI, the, you know, the cost per acquisition, well, then maybe we're going after too large of an initial budget, right? I try to set realistic expectations of what an initial budget, because, you know, again, my perspective is if a client and every, every brand is relative, but let's just say a hundred thousand dollars to some brands is not a lot of money. Right. Some brands, that's their entire marketing budget. Right. So I, I'm not going to try to convince you to spend your entire marketing budget on an unknown kind of return. So mm-hmm. let's set a more realistic expectation. And again, like then everyone is a little more kind of, you know, open to to that test and learn strategy. And again, those, my biggest clients have been the ones that started small and, and mm-hmm. when they see it's effective, every brand will lean in more, right? So that's right. what I, I always kind of go by that mantra. So let's talk about budget then. I noticed on your site, like if I were an advertiser and I were coming to your site, I know one of the questions was like, what kind of budget do you have? And the first range you had was zero to 10,000. And and I always, if we're working directly with an advertiser, we have a $5,000 minimum spend. But I really feel like between that five to 10 can be, if you're a smaller company and you don't have a lot of budget, I don't really think that anyone should spend less than that. But what's your take on it? Yeah, we're, we have the self-service. So yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. so it really comes down, like you said, we have an opportunity for every brand because we have a self-service marketplace. Most of our spends under 10,000 are brands who are leveraging our self-service, where mm-hmm. it's kind of just a la carte, right? So some of them spend $500, some spend a couple thousand dollars just working with individual influencers. So our managed services, which is what I run, tends to actually start even a little bit higher, 25 to sure. 30K, mm-hmm. which again, like over the last few years, I, I totally agree with you. I think that there are some spends that are just a little bit too small for most part because it's about learning, right? So I always come back to the idea like if you're going to spend five grand, like how much can you learn from that? And you could hire a bunch of small shows, et cetera, but like, are you moving the needle enough 
with overall impressions, even at like a reasonable conversion percentage. If you're hiring someone with a few hundred downloads, like, is that enough? Like you have to have enough, enough shows, enough impressions to really get a good understanding. And also I do like to test some of the shows at like some different size kind of points, right? So like, if you're going to test shows that have a thousand downloads, let's test a few shows that have 15, 25, a hundred thousand, because even there you might realize like, okay, there is a sweet spot. There's a number of impressions we need to convert. And that can vary by product. I mean, just mm -hmm. how, you know, again, like how does your product resonate with, with these audiences? So mm -hmm. again, it's all about the data to me. So again, I tend to push people towards a little bit higher budget. My team is, is a 25 K and usually smaller than that, they use the self-service. And again, we have right. lots of brands who are just, and that's, te that's testing, right? To mm -hmm. me, 5k, 10k, like that is total testing and that's great. It's going to be hard, like you said, with a lot of networks, et cetera, to cover minimums at that spend. And that's why we have the self-service. But I think the most effective clients have put a little, invest a little bit more to get to like a little bit bigger spend for, you know, the reasons I mentioned. Yeah. So Pod Sites, which is one of the attribution companies in the space, they recently um, released a benchmark report that they put out, I think a couple times a year. But one of the stats that they had in their most recent report that I don't know if I'd seen before was where conversions happen most in terms of the number of impressions that you've purchased. And mm -hmm. seems to me like they were saying between two and 400,000 impressions was like a really nice sweet spot. And so I, I do, I do really think it's, it is so important to make sure when you're running a test that you're doing enough, because if, if it's, if you're not doing enough, then really it isn't going to perform as well. And when we talk about kind of those second tier shows um, or more smaller groups of shows, it still is important to make sure that the audience size is large enough that you're going to be able to actually really get some traction. And if you're going about it on your own, if, you've, if you're just trying to, let's say, work directly with a podcaster to buy ads from them, it's so important that you're really clear on what their true audience size is and that, you know, it really is big enough. So I think that that's super important for advertisers to consider. In terms of looking at results, I know you, you had a really nice list of, of things that you kind of went over, but uh, what are some of the metrics that advertisers should be looking at? So let's say we're getting to the end of maybe a three-month test and we've tested 10 different shows. Maybe we've invested about $25,000. What are those metrics that advertisers should really uh, be looking at? Yeah, I think a lot of it comes down to, like I said, maybe they're leveraging some of these third-party attribution things. You know, for the most part, you know, we obviously the top line in podcasting is all impression, you know, driven. You know, that's how most shows are sold. So I think anything down funnel is typically on their end. So like I said, the baseline with the coupon codes and the vanity URLs, you know, again, that at least gives us a baseline. I don't think it's, and everyone would agree that it's not perfect attribution. It gives you some baseline. I think that also comes back to your idea of KPI, right? Like, it might be hard to get 100% attribution in this space. You have to kind of go in understanding that, that there probably is a little bit of an uptick from what you're seeing in some of this attribution of people that are actually converting because it's just not perfect attribution. I think most advertisers understand that. Mm -hmm. So I think, again, just straight conversions and whether that's overall ROI, I think that probably makes sense, right? Because like I said, not every show is going to convert. The idea that, you know, if you can even break even would be, you know, I think a great opportunity for most advertisers. They'd be probably happy with that. But I think beyond that, those third-party attribution sites, I think, will continue to improve and uh, are valuable. The pod sites, the Claritas, the Charter, there's so many of those that are doing like the, the, the pixel tracking. Mm -hmm. And I think that just gives you, again, an extra layer of 
attribution to sell it internally to, to leadership and, and to see if it's a valuable medium. So I certainly think that those are valuable. So again, I mean, for the most part, for our clients, our direct response that are growing their spend, it always comes down to that, right? Like what's the, either the cost per acquisition or the individual campaign ROI. And I think both are, are reasonable and effective metrics, right? Like we don't go in guaranteeing everything, but I think, like I said, I've, with the most successful people, they see either a relative cost per acquisition to other mediums, or they see the possibility of it really kind of growing, you know? So mm-hmm. like with, within those first three or four episodes, do they see enough traction to say, wow, like if we did this long-term, we can continue to kind of optimize that to drive down the cost, or maybe they lock in long-term for like a value add or discount. So, I mean, I think that's mm-hmm. where those brands are are doing that, right? They're saying, okay, there's enough here that if I lock this in long-term, maybe I could get the cost down to where it really is a sweet spot for us. And I think that is an effective strategy. And again, like doing it at the individual show level, so you can optimize, right? That not every show out of the 10 will be that, but at the individual show level, who did drive the most action, typically will lock those in long-term and then try to mirror those with new shows, right? I mean, that's Mm -hmm. kind of how we have grown most of our partners. Like I said, like start with scale and then optimize every 30, 45 days. Let's see what's happening and let's try to optimize um, for those that are working and those that aren't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in terms of doing split testing, have you had any success running split tests on like a CTA or an offer? Because I like the idea of doing that. We haven't at True Native ever, uh, you know, executed a campaign like that. But I'm curious if you have, because it seems like a good idea. I get frustrated because oftentimes with advertisers, you go to their website and maybe like they have a better offer that pops up or they have the identical offer that pops up on their website. So then why is there the incentive to enter the promo code? So I guess I'm just curious, have you had any advertisers who have kind of been aggressive with their calls to action and their offers and are they willing to do some split testing? Yeah, I mean, the split testing is tough because you're kind of, you're kind of messing the message in the marketplace, right? So like if they hear one ad and it's $50 off and then the next ad is $25 off, it just gets a little bit confusing or mm-hmm. someone might do the 25 offer and then a day later they hear it's 50. It, it starts getting a little bit messy, right? So, you know, if anything, we would at least do it in not at the same time, right? So right, define campaigns. Exactly, right? So maybe mm-hmm. this campaign we run a dollar offer and the next time we run a percentage offer. Or, right? Like let's try, I think there's certainly opportunities for that. I think there, I, I definitely agree that the ones who are most successful have created uh, unique discounts and or purchase opportunities or whatever that incentive is that are not available anywhere else. I think that certainly is important because mm-hmm. I agree a lot of brands will just offer the same discount in the CTA as you could just go to the website. And again, it a purchase is a purchase, but it's hard for attribution. Right. Exactly, right? Like the whole right. goal here is to, sh- to show that. So <laughs> exactly, like, you know, there's really no reason for someone to take immediate action or, or maybe they just go to your website because they are interested, but then they see that it's the same discount. So they're like, oh, I'll just buy right. it right. later. It's always available. I like the opportunity of trying, let's say, dollar versus percentage and different messaging. But also I like when brands offer something like a unique package or product or like, whatever it could be that's only available to uh, podcast listeners or maybe this particular show, there's like something unique. Um, I think we've had really good success when when brands do that. So mm-hmm. 
Great. I know that you mentioned that most of your advertisers are direct response advertisers, but I know that from working with Podcorn, we definitely have gotten some brand advertisers from you guys. Talk to me a little bit about uh, what you're seeing in terms of brand advertising happening in the space and how you think that might be affecting positively or negatively what's going on. Oh, I mean, any any spend is good spend, obviously, in the space. The bigger brands are now, again, that are not direct response, are continue to get in that space. I think if the only negative would be the inventory, right? You have brands who have big budgets and are going to come in and spend a million dollars or $5 million. And that buys up a lot of inventory for a lot of these direct response clients. But they are an impression game, right? So I think the the only downside potentially is that in, in their necessity to drive down the cost of impressions. Uh, does so in the marketplace, right? So if you come mm-hmm. in with a lot of money and you're driving down the individual cost of impressions, that's not good for everyone. It's not good for talent. It's not good for you know everyone. But for the most part, I think overall I've seen costs going up because inventory is going down. So it kind of counterbalances, right? Like as big, as big brands have come in and they're spending big big dollars, so they obviously uh-huh. are getting some sort of you know discount on the impressions. But also they're buying up a lot of inventory, so the overall cost is going up. So I think it's a net positive in my opinion, and I think that they bring a lot of cachet, right? Like you said, we work with a lot of entertainment and auto and, and all these things. They also tend to prefer dynamic. So again, I think it, the way I see it playing out is that you kind of have these two silos, right? Like you have the big brands who are open to dynamic because they want either produce spots or they have specific timeframes that, you know, one week flight that they want to run. Those are great for dynamic, right? Geotargeting. Mm-hmm. So those actually fill a lot of that dynamic inventory where they're really happy about that. It's cheaper impressions. It's more scale. I think that's a great play, very similar to what TrueView at YouTube does. You see a lot of car ads on TrueView. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the direct response, it leaves them all this opportunity for like the personal endorsement and the baked in and a little more freedom in the messaging because they want it to be organic. So I think, again, like there is certainly a lane uh, for mm-hmm. gold. And, and again, we've seen that in the last year, like a big push of a lot of these big brands who, you know, they they certainly get it. I think they want a little more control. They want, you know, again, some of the things you might expect from the bigger brands, but there's that lane for them uh, right. to scale. Right, right. So the reason I said I, I thought it was so interesting that the prices were increasing is AdvertiseCast has been publishing their average CPM data now for a little while. And truthfully, every time I look at it, it seems low to me. Like I think we're selling at a higher CPM than that. And we're pushing to sell at a higher CPM. I mean, we really want to be at a $30 CPM, but I, I get the feeling often that the entire kind of space is is edging downward, which, you know, I know no one really wants to see that happen because, I mean, we can look at other mediums out there that really have had that race to the bottom and nobody wants that. And I also think that there is a ton of value in host red endorsement ads and it shouldn't be apples to apples. Like if we have an announcer red uh, dynamically inserted ad that shouldn't necessarily be priced at the same amount as, hey, I had to try the product and create the ad and write the script and all that jazz, right? For the ad like that should cost more, but I guess I'm, I'm just curious. So you really do feel like the bigger brands coming in and investing, but like you said, obviously, like if you've got a big brand coming in spending a million, like that is going to buy up a chunk of inventory. And it would make sense that as inventory goes down, rates go up. So yeah, what is your take on it? Yeah. And again, I think that it just, you get what you pay for in the sense mm-hmm. that if you're looking to just run a you know, a produced spot, like if you're just buying audience, if you're just buying inventory, like dynamic insertion, produced ad, it's just less expensive, right? It makes sense mm-hmm. that that would be less expensive. You're buying inventory on back episodes, et cetera. So I think, again, at scale, that makes sense. Similar to Spotify, right? Like you can go at a cheaper CPM 
because it's a little like less kind of uh, high touch as far as like getting product and getting them to personal endorsement. So I agree. I think that there is, again, a discrepancy there where if you're leaning into personal endorsement, sending them product, having them give these kind of more, you know, organic, engaged reads, I think that will come at a premium. And also you see all the time where it's really show specific. If you're a celebrity, if you already have a built-in audience, right. if you have a massive social platform, those come at a premium, right? And that's mm -hmm. kind of across the board, right? Mm -hmm. So it isn't necessarily plug and play. I think where it's the most plug and play is the dynamic, right? Where you're just selling audience, you could reach 25 to 34 mass scale, we'll just buy impressions. Of course, that's going to be cheaper. So I think that makes mm -hmm. sense. I still think that that, again, is a net positive because you're still going to fill up all that big inventory. Mm -hmm. So like the rest of the brands are going to have to spend more. So in, as a ecosystem, the prices continue to go up. And I've seen that, like you said, I've seen over the last two and a half years, prices are inching up. I think a lot of that comes down to inventory and also more brands are coming. It's more competitive, right? So yeah. if you have a parenting show, it's going to be really in demand. I think it's fair to raise the pricing. I mean, that's what we tell clients, depending on your targeting. If you have really broad targeting, easier to get it at a more reasonable cost. If you have really narrow targeting, it's going to be more expensive. That's again, no different than, than any medium. So I always think it's it's a net positive. I think the biggest thing for the space is that the mid and long tail continue to grow in size, right? Like that's that's how the ecosystem at large grows. You can't just keep selling the biggest shows at the cheapest CPM. I agree that that's like a race to the bottom that I don't think anyone will benefit except for the people that buy out all the inventory at a really cheap cost. The, the few of those will win, but then it doesn't allow the space to grow. I mean, right. you hit a, you hit a ceiling in that. So I don't think that's not really effective for everyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I know we need to start wrapping it up. I'm curious yeah. if you were to talk to an advertiser and give them maybe three top tips on how to succeed in podcast advertising, what would those be? Um, I absolutely think that finding the right shows uh, and the right shows, again, could be a variety of things, but let's just break it down to the right audience from a demo perspective, the right host from a personality and brand perspective that they kind of your brand and, and of course if they i agree like if they can try and personally endorse your product that's a great kind of place to start so everything in kind of the curation of it i think setting reasonable expectation to what a success is in a new medium because again i think this is a space where you do need scale you know the brands that are the most effective are scaling big budget into this but they're seeing the biggest results so i think that again having reasonable expectation of what a successful pilot is Again, that's up for discussion, but you know, at least setting reasonable expectation. And the third one is to think long term in this strategy. Like we said, like along with reasonable expectation is to have a long term strategy. Like don't come in with, I'm gonna test a few shows and you know, let's do a one month campaign. I think, you know, coming in with it's obviously a big medium. There's gonna be a lot of long term opportunity here, new shows and, and all these things. But I think if you come in with a long term strategy it's going to be more effective for you, right? Like the short-term ROI, like we talked about, right? You may or may not turn a short-term ROI, but I think the learning of how to optimize this space, similar to brands who have been very successful, I think it'll benefit you in the long run. So I think, you know, again, coming to this with kind of a macro view of, of the space, I think will help you out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Todd, thank you so much. It's been great chatting with you. Yeah. If um, people want to find out more about you, where can they connect with you? Todd at podcorn.com. Always feel free to check out our website. Shoot us an email there, or I'm always available at any time to chat. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I hope that there were some great nuggets of information in there. And if you haven't tried out podcast advertising and are thinking about jumping into the space, I would highly recommend that you do. You can head on over to truenativemedia.com and we would love to chat with you. Have a good day and we will talk to you next time. If you want to learn more about how to be a market leader in podcast advertising, reach out to us at truenativemedia.com.